Welcome to the Warrior Parenting Podcast, where we empower your student to grow academically strong, social and emotionally mature, spiritually deep, and be prepared for life. Uh, I'm Caleb, one of the teachers at Longmont Christian, and we wanted to start this podcast so that you parents could hear um, more about those areas. So on each episode, we'll be unpacking one of those three things, as well as you'll be getting an interview from several of our staff, so you can get to hear more about their heart behind what they love to do at Longmont Christian School. So let's jump into today's conversation. I'm sitting down today with Sharon Pedersen, um, and we're going to talk through kind of what her role is and how she got involved with the school. Um, so Sharon, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm, I'm doing good. Um, how long have you worked here? This is my third year. Okay. What did you do before that? I was a paraprofessional in the public schools, and then I went to grad school and got my master's in special ed, and then I was a tutor, and then I came here. So Before I was a teacher, I was a stay-at-home mom, and I was a technical writer. Okay. What does that mean, a technical writer? I worked for a computer company, and I wrote manuals on how to use the software. Oh, that's that's interesting. It was. It was a good job. So, okay, so you said, what was your master's? It was? Special ed. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk a little bit about why you wanted to do that? So, when my kids went to elementary school, I started volunteering at their school and ended up getting into a friendship with the special educator there. So, I started volunteering, and eventually that turned into a para job. And I ended up what working. Did, what does that mean? Parapro. Okay. That's a, a non-licensed teacher assistant, basically. Okay. In the public schools. Um, all sorts of jobs. But typically they work with kiddos who need extra help or playground duty or things like that in okay. the public schools. And through that, I met my mentor at the elementary school. And I worked with her very, very closely and she ended up convincing me to go to grad school to get my teaching certificate and for special ed. Okay. She, I loved it. I loved having that feeling of helping a kiddo um, overcome a barrier in their learning. And when the lights come on, it's an amazing feeling. Yeah. And she was a great support and gave me lots of encouragement that it was a good match for me. And so that's what I did. So was Longmont Christian your first job then in that? Mm, or No, not exactly. So I did my student teaching at the public school. So that was a job. And, and I did 13 years of para work in the public schools. And then, so Longmont Christian is my first official by myself, yes. Okay. Uh, special education teacher. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what did you like, like, when you interviewed at Longmont Christian all those years ago, what made this one? Wow. That's a great question. I liked that, I mean, I liked that it was private because uh, special education in the public schools all fall under IDEA, which is federal law, and it's a very specific law so like if I didn't get something in on time within a 30-day time period in the public schools I could be held legally liable for that and that's a lot of stress for a special educator 
Yeah. And so one of the things I really love about the private school is that although we're not under that federal law, we can interpret it in different ways. So, for example, in the public schools, if a kiddo tested at above 12%, the 12th percentile, they wouldn't be eligible for special education services. So there's a huge group of kids between the 12th and about 35th percentile who probably need services, but they can't get them in the public school. Mm -hmm. And here, that's one of the huge advantages is that we can take those kids in that in-between place and give them special education services because I'm here and because we don't fall under the federal law and those federal restrictions. Okay. So going back, so your, your master's in special ed, mm-hmm. um, your title though here is the resource teacher, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my assumption is that's because there's like a little bit of a negative connotation on the phrase special ed. Would you agree with that or? Uh, some of that. Also, special education is the whole gamut. Mm-hmm. It's from kiddos who are nonverbal and who can't feed themselves all the way to like those kids who are fine in everything except maybe they are at the 12th percentile in math, mm-hmm. but in every other way they're fine. Or um, kiddos that have a severe intellectual disability all the way to maybe a kiddo with mild autism spectrum disorder that you wouldn't even be able to tell was any different than his peers, his or her peers. And so resource is the upper end of that. Okay. While special ed covers the whole, whole spectrum. Gamut, okay. Right. From yeah. Very low functioning to nearly normal function. And so I guess maybe negative connotations aren't the right word, but it's just a bigger net exactly. than, than most people kind of think it is. Mm-hmm. So how does that play out at Walmart Christian School? Like, what's the, um, what type of issues do you see our kids, obviously not specifically, but right. kind of like walking with and looking at? Since I've been here, most of the kiddos I've worked with have uh, difficulties with reading and writing. Um, as I've stayed longer and tested more and more kids, I'm starting to pull in some kiddos with some math issues whether that's um, counting on or especially in the younger grades. Um, So if a parent or a teacher or I have a concern about a student, they're they're not performing to the level of their peers. And it could be in various areas. It could be across the board. It could be in a specific area. It could even be behaviors that are impacting their learning or their peers' learning. Then um, will, or if a student comes in with a diagnosed condition, then I typically assess, observe, and consult with the teachers to get a better understanding of the student's needs. Uh, For students with suspected medical conditions like ADD, ADHD, or dyslexia, or um, autism spectrum disorder, And let me just go back a little bit. Those are medical diagnoses. Oh, okay. So I can't diagnose any of those. I can test for learning disabilities in any of the areas. But all of those impact learning. Does that make sense? Yes. So so I think I've mentioned this before, so I'm not not too, (laughs) I'm not worried about talking about it. So I'm dyslexic. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I went to this place in Denver when I was in high school, got like tested so I could have accommodations for my college plan and all sorts of stuff. But what I was always told was that it was a, a learning disability. But right. so it's actually classified as a medical disability. Right. However, there's so much overlap, right? There's so much overlap. So in the public schools anyway, what we would call it is um, learning disability in reading or writing. Okay. But usually that ends up to be dyslexia. So when I test kiddos for academics, I can see a lot of signs of dyslexia, but since I'm not a medical professional, I cannot diagnose dyslexia. Got it. Okay. But it's okay because the interventions for dyslexic children and for children with a learning disability in reading are the same. Okay. Yeah. And so that's why you typically have to go do something like you go up to... To get a medical diagnosis. Yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. Great. So, so going back to then, you, you're seeing a lot of... Um, I'm here mostly reading and writing, a little bit of math. Okay. And behaviors. Okay. Mm-hmm. Great. And so what does it look like when you work, you know, for a parent who knows you're here but doesn't really know what you do? How does that kind of... What, what does your job look like? Um, it's very individualized per student. So typically for reading intervention, I will, if kids are low, if they're low enough, I will do a pullout with kids, typically um, half an hour in a day, depending on how severe their disability is and how far below their peers they are. And I use an Orton-Gillingham-based intervention. So Orton-Gillingham is the gold standard for dyslexia. If you're if you're trying to teach kiddos with dyslexia, you want to start with an OG-based. This is bad because I don't know who that is. No, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> and so I use that, and it's um, it's a curriculum where there's lots of hands-on, and so like the kids will manipulate letters on a magnetic board. Uh, we teach a lot of um, spelling rules, and do a lot of repetition on that. We do a lot of large body movement. So there's a lot of evidence that proves that um, large body movement and manual manipulation helps kiddos remember, and it kind of rewires their brain. Mm -hmm. So the part that's not wired right for reading gets rewired in other directions so that they they can learn to read fluently. Okay. So you're you're pulling kids doing that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, You're in classrooms a lot, right? right? I do some push-in, too. Mm Mm-hmm. And just so to kind of observe. The difference between pull out and push in is just like it sounds. Pull out, they come to my room, and then push in. I go in to their gen ed room, general education room, and help them and help the other kids and sort of be a wanderer okay. in that room. Okay. Um, so when you uh, applied here, was were you, did you take someone's spot? Like, we're not someone's spot, but like, you know, was there a resource person that you there came was. in and replaced? Okay. Mm-hmm. Do you know what the when that started? I think that started two years before I started. Okay. I believe. I'm not absolutely certain on that. So kind of for the last maybe five years, LCS mm-hmm. has had this piece of their, I guess, curriculum or their education plan. Right. Is that we provide resource for that. Because I remember when I was a, a kid here, um, I, I think starting in second grade, I had to have a tutor mm-hmm. who I would either go to like really early in the morning before school okay. or um, for a while she was pulling me 
at lunch. So I'd go eat lunch with her and then miss like a recess and then like a open reading time in the middle of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did that the whole time I was here, um, except for maybe like high school. And so I, I mean, the advantage is probably for you to be in the building right. where you're seeing the kids every day. That's got to be huge. Right. Is um, you had mentioned earlier that you wanted to look at a private school instead of public because you can kind of reach more people, hit more of those like kids in those lower percentiles and things like that. Is that like a normal thing for private schools? No, it's actually not very typical for private schools to have any resource people at all. I I don't know of any that do. There are probably some out there, but I'm not aware of any private schools that have any support for special education. And you've like looked for a job in the, you know, Boulder County area. Mm -hmm. So that's safe to say that like Longmont Christian is definitely one of the private school options that had it. That I'm aware of. Now there are some private schools that specifically work with kids with dyslexia. That's different. (laughs) Yeah. But as far as I know, I don't, I don't think very many private schools. Okay. So that's a huge plus of LCS is that we have that service it's available. It's right down the hall. We're actually sitting in the room right now. There's tons of things in here for, you know, I think you have like four, you have more medicine balls than I do in the PE room (laughs) um, for kids to, you know, kind of bounce, bounce on and all Mm -hmm. that. So that's a pretty special thing that Longmont Christian has resources like that. I think so. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's atypical. Okay. Yeah. Um, So more than that, you also do some behavioral things Mm -hmm. too. Is that right? Yeah. So this year, um, Mr. Hayes has been our part-time counselor. He's been so, so good to work, work with. So I work closely with him in setting behavior goals for students. And when I say behaviors, that's typically something that is impacting their learning to the extent where they're not being able to learn at the same pace as their peers because of behaviors. And Sometimes behaviors and academics go hand, well, always behaviors and academics go hand in hand, but what we try and figure out is, is the kiddo using these behaviors because they're not understanding the material? Are they using it to, um, because of attention, because of various things? So we work, Mr. Hayes and I work together on figuring out what the behaviors are doing for the student and then addressing those through various means, behavior plans, um, incentive plans, all sorts of things. And what, what do you think the big benefit is to have that? Oh, because when a kiddo has behaviors in a classroom, it's, impact, it's impacting their learning and it's impacting the learning of their peers in a negative way. Yeah. And so helping them be able to learn to manage that increases learning for everybody okay for that student and for their peers do you think the kind of i guess we're frenzy is the thing we're using yeah. now for a lot of that and i'm going to uh seth and i are sitting down soon to go over a lot of that soon to get too into it but do you think that that program that you've seen like kind of a difference this year in compared to years past or has it been about is it too early to tell i think it's too early to tell and when i say behaviors it's pretty severe behaviors yeah um frenzy is helping address everybody right okay and to hopefully stop them before they begin uh what mr hayes and i work on are these pretty elevated behaviors that frenzy may help but it's a more immediate need and uh higher level need okay does that make sense yes yeah. yes it does oh, one thing i didn't say was 
a huge part of my job is writing an accommodation plan. Okay. So once there's a concern, we do testing and observing. Then we get together with the team, and that team for that student would include their parents, um, somebody in admin, usually Mrs. Perkins, I, and the student's gen ed teacher, general education teacher. So as a team, we get together and we work on, we look at, okay, here's what we saw in testing, here's what we see in observation, here's what we think the accommodations should be for this student in order to scaffold their learning so that they can be successful. And one thing um, I think people have a hard time understanding is that accommodations do not give students an advantage. Right. All the accommodations do is give them the same level of access to the material that their peers have. Uh-huh. So that's written into accommodation plan. And I'm so careful about confidentiality that only the people that need to know yeah. even know that a student is on an accommodation plan. Yeah. It is not, it's something that I really harp on the teachers about that it is just between the parents and the student and you and me. Yeah. It doesn't go out, it doesn't go anyplace else. And I would say, just from my own experience of, of walking through the, you know, the dyslexia stuff, using your right as a parent and advocating for your kid and getting them the accommodation plan and getting the testing is so big and it's so it's so huge if you can do that um now early so that when they are in high school or college they know like how to advocate for themselves with where they're at because i remember like i think i had i needed my tests read to me a lot Mm -hmm. And there were some teachers who were like, we can't do that. We can't figure that out. And it was like, okay, well, this is like a, you know, a really a big thing. But I'm, I mean, it was like in, oh, man, probably like the fourth grade here. And it was like, you know, we're in tears at home because we can't figure out how to get this happen. It's like really tense and all this. And it was, and it was really hard. But by the time I had gotten to college, the accommodations that they do for you at college, if you have the accommodation plan, are pretty unbelievable. Yeah. So if you can stick with that and get through high school and into college, like there, nothing is impossible. There will be like resources and things there that are beyond, I think what you can even imagine with having a resource person here. Well, and now that we have the tech, we've got voice to text mm-hmm. technology and we have text to voice technology. So my kiddos with dyslexia by middle school, I'm starting to support them so that they can become independent in their learning by high school. So that's part of my, one of my really big jobs is so that whatever their learning disability is, by the time they hit high school, they are independent and they can do all of the work by themselves. Yeah. And now we've got the tech that they can do that, but it takes learning. It takes learning the tech, right? Yeah. 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 And it's, it's, I mean, it's amazing. It's a really exciting time actually with, with the technology available. Yeah. I remember the first thing, there were two things I got, I got to use that were pretty, you know, unique. Like one of them was I had a, it was called Dragon Dictate and it was Mm -hmm. the only voice to text software at the time. I had a special computer and a special headset to run it. The other thing was I had this, I could order any book I wanted to from like the library of Congress on audiobook, but I had this giant yellow tape recorder that was like, you know, meant for people who were blind to also be able to operate. Right. And, right. you know, I, I remember I listened to all the Harry Potters on like four different sides yeah. on this giant thing. And my mom um, was like, this was the same tape recorder I had because she also has uh, dyslexia because it's like a hereditary thing. right? Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, OK, uh, there's a couple more things I want to hit before we wrap up. 
the first is when you look at like what um, the average kids are experiencing, like just, I don't know if it's state averages or what. I know you have some stats about just like the number of kids who, who deal with different things. What are those? Oh, so about, these are about, right? Um, about 8% of kids have dyscalculia, which is inability to deal with numbers and math. 20%, so one in five, are dyslexic. 10% have ADHD, and about 2.5% are somewhere on the autism spectrum. That's the only thing that I pulled, okay. pulled stats for. But that's a huge percentage of a student population, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. At any school, yeah, right? And so it's great that we have that here. And the numbers are going up. Okay, yeah. Well, is, that, is there a science yeah, behind that? Yeah, that's a great or? question. So what they told me in grad school is it's either... Um, more people are being diagnosed and the society is just more aware of learning disabilities or the numbers are actually growing and we don't really know why. Okay. You know, is it pollutants? Is it our food additives? Nobody really knows. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or some combination of both. Yeah. But the numbers are definitely growing. Um, so if you have maybe, you know, whether you have a, um, a you know, learning disability or whatever, what advantage does the small class sizes that we have here at the school bring to that? So much. There's so much evidence out there that supports um, small class sizes. And I'm just going to redo a quick quote. This is from the National Education Policy Center. Um, This policy summarizes the academic literature on the impact of class size and finds that class size is an important determinant of a variety of student outcomes ranging from test scores to broader life outcomes. Smaller classes are particularly effective at raising achievement levels. And just about everybody agrees that smaller class sizes are advantages for all students. Mm -hmm. And then, especially for resource kids, one of the first interventions in public schools is to pull kids into smaller groups because they get more attention. They get more one-on-one. And right now, our class sizes are small, but it's nearly at the point where it's one-on-one tutoring with their teachers because they get so much time and so much extra attention from their teachers. It's a huge advantage to have small class sizes. Yeah. So whether you're, you know, having needing resources or not, Mm -hmm. it's like you've said it to me a few times that it's like, you know, one-on-three tutoring. Yeah. And that, and that is like, yeah, a very special thing for your kids to get to be in that environment to learn because they can get all of the help that they need. So, and there's, there's reams and reams and reams of evidence that prove that smaller class sizes are more helpful for kids across the spectrum. Yeah. Um, okay. So before we go, could you share some like encouragement for parents who have kids who might be in the, um, you know, you have the resource stuff. Like, I think one of the things I remember being told early on in my dyslexia journey is I was sitting with my tutor at, like, we're, like, meeting her, and we're at her parents' house, or her house out in birth, and I'm sitting there with both my parents. And a lot of it was talking about, like, what I'm going to have to do and whatever to be successful. But then at one point, she, like, stopped for a few minutes, and she just looked at my parents, and she was like, 
he can do as much as like, you know, he can, but this really is going to come down to how much you can like love and support and like help them. So could you give some like encouragement to the parents who are walking through that? I mean, that's that's the basis of it. Um, I've had several kids here who have graduated out of my program and their grades are equivalent to their peers. And so just that little extra bit of support got them where they needed to be. Um, Every kiddo I've ever worked with has made some sort of progress. Uh, Not always to the level, and I mean, this even when I was working in the public schools, of their peers, but every, every student can learn. Every student can learn. And everybody here, everybody that I've worked with here, is going to have the ability to have a normal adult life. They're going to need some support, and they're going to need to do some extra work, and they're going to need to, especially at the middle school level, start embracing that um, disability as just a thing in their life. Like, one of the things I try and tell the kids is, I wear glasses because my eyes aren't good. You know, maybe there's a kid that um, has to wear hearing aids. A learning disability is the same. God made us all different. Some of us have issues that we're going to have to work harder on than other of us, but we all have stuff that we're good at, and we all have stuff that we need extra help with. And I really want to normalize this idea that coming to the resource room is not a big deal. It's just a thing that some kids need, and they won't always need it, but right now they do. And I think, I think I'm doing a good job of that. I try to make my room someplace fun, something that they look forward to doing. Um, I work really hard with the teachers to make sure they're, they're, they're not missing vital information in their own classrooms. It's going to be hard for any parent to hear that their child has a learning disability. It just is. There's no way around that. But it is not the end of the world. It's not the end of the world. With the tech, with the extra help, they're going to be fine. They're going to have to work a little bit harder than their peers, but in the end, they're going to be fine, and they're going to be successful adults. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I've thought about a lot with this is that um, passage in 2 Corinthians when Paul talks about the thorn in his flesh, and he specifically says, like, my power or you know god's like saying to paul like my power is made per- my grace is sufficient enough for you my power is made perfect in weakness and i think that um for me that has been like a huge part of um just watching god work in through that with me in my own life so and you're a perfect example of how successful somebody with a learning disability can be yeah you know with with good parents with good help and with a ton of hard work on your part and God's help. Here you are. Yeah. Yeah. You can do it. Yeah. (laughs) You can make it through. Well, sorry. I got a little bit choked up there thinking about that, but, um, thank you so much, Sharon. Thank you so much for all you do here. Um, for the kids, uh, if you ever want to come check out the resource room, you can come by and say hi to her. Uh, it's kind of down there in the back by the hub. Uh, maybe you can come say hi to her. I don't know if that's true, but (laughs) as long as I don't have students, please feel free. Cool. Well, thank you so much. I love it. Thank you.